And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best. And always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Good morning. I'm glad to have you join us today. And I want you to know I do not take for granted that you're doing this. And uh, many people are coming with us, of course, on Tuesday mornings. I hope that's become a part of a pattern for you. But at the same time, there's some folks who can't be with us and they watch the summit we have when it's posted (coughs) the same day. But I want us to pray together and ask God to guide us. I'm going to try to get a little more information out of my friend here today and who's here, where they're here from. And uh, so I'm glad to have you come on. Our Father, we thank Thee for this day and for Thy great love to us. We do pray for the moving and working of Your Holy Spirit. May Christ be glorified in all we do. In His name we pray. And for His glory we ask for this. Amen. I want you to have a pen in hand and write some things down, if you would, please. And uh, I want you to pray about your own personal commitment your personal commitment. You know, the fact of the matter is, uh, this Shepherd Summit now has how many people with us? 1,250 people with us, and we're grateful to God for that. And there's no telling what could be done just from motivating and getting involved with that group. If that group just got wholeheartedly involved and and uh, moved forward for the Lord. There's just no telling what could be done. So we're looking for that. We have a nation that we're trying to work with and ask God to guide us and help us with. And uh, we're dealing with 50 states in America. And each, each state has so, so many counties and the total counties we have, I've written down here, the total counties for the U.S., for example, uh, in Tennessee we have 95 counties. But the total counties are 3,243 counties. And so uh, I'm asking God to move and work in a mighty way in each of those counties. Do you know what your county is? So I'm going to try to encourage you now to write some things down just to make the notes because it's easy to find out. Find out how many uh, churches are in your county. Find out what county you're in. And then there is a righteous remnant. There's a righteous remnant in every county. Just like there's a righteous remnant in every church. So if you expect everyone to get on board and get involved and do anything, you're going to stay disappointed all of your life. It just doesn't happen. And uh, we had bright, brilliant color on here. Now we don't, okay? And so 
uh, if you have a righteous remnant in in every church, every county, all of that. And so I I am just trying to help you think about certain things with that righteous remnant. And what you're trying to do is find that remnant to move forward. You know, if you look with me in the book of Isaiah just for a moment, that's not where we're going to dwell, but in Isaiah chapter 1, I want to show you something. And this is what God had to say about that remnant. And it exists today. There's no doubt about it. But the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, and verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So without a very small remnant, God said of his own people, they would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, I've chosen for a topic today, the only way back to God. And we're going to talk about it. But uh, the idea is that we don't sit and observe it and just talk about it. But we try to get engaged in it. But before I do that, I want you to write some things down. Would you please? I want you to write down the idea of the coming revival. We're praying for the coming revival. We believe that God is going to send a revival. And I think that he will use that righteous remnant to do it in the coming revival. Now, I want you to be a person who pleads to God for that and also, as you plead to the Lord for that, uh, to begin to prayerfully make contacts with people. Everything we do for God should be preceded by prayers toward that, in that direction. So if I said to you, um, if you're looking for a remnant how would you pray? Which way would you pray? What type of thing would you pray about? And who would you pray for? I'm deadly serious about this. I believe God desires to send a revival. I'm going to talk about previous revivals and what was preached and who was used of God and that type of thing. But I want you to think about your personal responsibility to pray toward this toward this remnant. And who is the first minister that would come to mind for you? Or who would be the first people in your church to come to mind? If I think about people that have a burden for revival, I, I don't think about sometimes the oldest Christians or even the people who have been here the longest, but I'm thinking about their heights of interest that people have about the Lord's work when I think about the coming revival. Then I want you to pray for a special date for meetings uh, we're planning. We're planning a First Amendment. The First Amendment to the Constitution is our freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly, and we have a, we're going to have a First Amendment conference not only are we talking about our freedom to speak, but where can we speak? Our freedom of the press, but what can we print? Our freedom to assembly, and where can we assemble, and how can we assemble? 
It's not just freedom to assemble in our church houses, in the buildings we built just for that. But we're having a First Amendment conference, and the dates are April 11th, that's a Sunday, April 12th and April 13th. This is all a part of what we're trying to do. And then I've, I've set a date for our Baptist Friends meeting. I want you to write it down because I want you to begin to pray toward this. And uh, this is our goal. Our Baptist Friends, and we've added the word network. Baptist Friends Network. A network of churches. I have no, I have no ideas or no desires to start a denomination. I have uh, no idea or no desire to exercise authority over anyone else or any other church. Uh, I want to recognize our individual accountability to God. This is the powerful thing that we're responsible to the Lord. We have individual soul liberty and we have an accountability to the Lord. But I've set the date October 17th to 21st. I want you to write it down. October 17th to 21st, uh, 2021. That's Sunday through Thursday. And we hope to represent every county in America. Every county. And remember the number of counties in America. And uh, we're trying our best. 3,243 counties. We're contacting someone in each of those counties. And from our research, we found almost 400 counties, almost 400 counties in America where we cannot find a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, uh, soul-winning, witnessing church. Now, they may very well be there, but from our research, we haven't found them. So we're going to try to start with what we have with this righteous remnant and encourage people to do certain things. I'm going to actually conclude with the only way back to God, but I want to talk to you about a few things, and I, I want you to get it. Would you please write it down? You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment was commandment to love the Lord. And so the greatest failure is our failure to love him. And we, we ought to talk about that. But when we had revival meetings in America uh, in 1740, in the Great Awakening, in the middle of the Great Awakening, we had 905,000 people populating 13 colonies. 905,000 people populating 13 colonies. Now, the Great Awakening is the name given to a religious revival impacting uh, those English colonies from 1730 to the 1740s, in the 1730s to the 1740s. So God actually did it here. As a matter of fact, one preacher, George Whitfield, uh, preached in, in one year. He traveled over 500,000 miles and preached 350 times. So it was not a, a small task. It was a hard, hard work. And some of the things that are written about that Great Awakening is it was a, a religious revival impacting the English colonies, 1730 to 1740. Uh, secular rationalism was moving forward. In other words, it was taking over the minds of people. And there was a staleness with churches. Now think about where we are today. 
Faith was much more formal in those churches, less passionate and less personal. This is what the historians say. So there was a dearth in the churches that did exist. And and in the late uh, 1720s, Jonathan Edwards in Northampton uh, was an Anglican minister. And he brought a, a message that was dealing with a sermon he gave in 1741 on sinners in the hands of an angry God. Edwards is called the greatest theologian in American history. And so uh, his idea was that, uh, that he wanted to get people to recognize there was an inevitable meeting with God. I'm talking about his preaching now. And this sermon went out. It began to spread. It was preached in his place and began to spread. There, there are lots of things that we can read just about that one sermon. But he was one of the chief fathers of the Great Awakening. Now, I don't know who's going to begin the revival, and I don't know what revival meeting God's going to touch and spread it. But I do know this that revival becomes the thing that God uses to extend his work. In other words, there are periods of revival. Historians tell us maybe every 30 years in the history of a nation, there's some touch of revival. To our knowledge, there's never been a worldwide revival, uh, but there have been regional revivals in many places, and it's pretty easy to do the research about the history of revivals. But we're praying for the coming revival. Now, I did find out what type of preaching was done during the Great Awakening. And I want you to write these things down. And uh, the preaching that was done during the Great Awakening, it had certain elements, certain themes. One was without salvation, you're going to hell. Just that plain. That was part of the preaching in the Great Awakening. Without salvation, you're going to hell. Another theme in that was all are born sinners. All are born sinners. You see, whatever happened to sin in America? Bad habits, personality defects, all kinds of things. But sin takes us right to the only remedy for sin. And in, in that time, in the 1730s and 1740s, the preaching that God used in the Great Awakening dealt with the fact that all were born sinners and that without salvation you're going to hell. A third thing that was a theme was that all could be saved. Uh, this was prevalent, that you could be saved. Another theme in, in the Great Awakening was that all people can know God personally. Everyone can know God personally. And then one last thing about that preaching theme was that faith should not be formal. In other words, it had to be more than ritual. 
more than formality. Historians say we had a second Great Awakening in the 1790s, and it went all the way through the 1850s, and actually maybe takes us to the tip of the prayer revival in 1857. Now, let's talk about just a few things about revival, because I'm serious, I'm praying for revival, and I want you to pray for revival. So, in the Great Awakening, some of the things we we know existed uh, was a sharp increase of interest in religion. A sharp increase. There were widespread revival meetings. Not every meeting is a meeting you say, oh, that's the meeting Whitfield preached in. Or that's the meeting that... Uh, Jonathan Edwards preached in. Uh, I know I was traveling through uh, Northampton in um, Massachusetts, and uh, they have records of revivals and these people there. But they may not have been in more than just a regional revival. Don't discount the regional revival because they provided sparks from which other meetings came. So there were widespread revival meetings. That means that if you're waiting on me to have revival here, and that's the thing God's going to use in our nation. It may be a revival you have in your church that God uses. You see, it's not the greatness of your meeting or the greatness of the size of your meeting. It's the greatness of God. And I want you to get in a, bur a burden in your heart about allowing God to use you for a real revival and what the Lord could do. We understand that in the revival of the Hebrides off the coast of Scotland that two old women, two old women, sort of decrepit old women, were praying and praying and praying. You know, even in the biblical revival in the day of Nehemiah, Nehemiah prayed four months before God opened the door for him to speak to the king. So, uh, in the revival of uh, Welch revival that touched many parts of the world, one teenage girl, a 16-year-old girl, got up in the church. They say they could trace the beginning and the sparks of that revival to that 16-year-old girl praying and singing a song, and, and the fire of God came. I don't even know if we recognize the fire of God, but we're praying for revival. But there were widespread revival meetings. There was a sharp increase in interest in religion. There was a profound sense of conviction. And I'm beginning to sense that in our world, in our country, that people know there's something wrong and we haven't done what we should have done. And I don't know what part that's going to have in all this, but at least I, I'm, I'm, I'm sensing some of this. Then I want you to know this. In the, in the Great Awakening, there was an increase in evangelical church attendance and church membership. It means people got under the sound of preaching. And people saw the need to belong to churches. There was a carelessness that preceded that. Now remember, God uses revival to move us forward. Not only just in one decade and another decade following, but sometimes it skips certain decades. 
I know that when I answered the call to preach and surrendered my life to the Lord, it was during a special series of meetings in my county. I grew up in a county, relatively small county, Tennessee. There are 95 counties in Tennessee, but there were, uh, there were uh, in 95 counties in Tennessee, a very small county called Blunt County. That's the county in which I lived. Now, you're going to find this hard to believe, but there was not one week, especially on a Friday or Saturday, you could go to our small town and some Christian wasn't, wasn't trying to confront you about knowing Christ on the street corner. Now, can you imagine going to, going to your town or going to Greenville, going anywhere, going shopping, going to Walmart, going anywhere, and that there's no time you could ever go there wasn't someone there trying to speak to you about knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. That happened in that revival meeting. So who did God use in that? Certain leaders. And you know what leaders do? You know what leaders do? They produce and encourage other people to lead. One soul winner can start a band of soul winners in your church. One passionate person may seem out of place to begin with. It may be that they're thinking, uh, they're thinking that you think this person is a little uh, out of hand. I spoke with a, a person in our church just a few days ago that seems a little radical about witnessing. But honestly, that's what we all need. We are so dull and so stale that we need reviving. And so may God grant it. May God speak to us. May the Lord lead us. These are just a few of the pieces uh, I, I want to talk about. This is what we've all talked about and prayed about and asked God to guide us and help us with. Now I want you to look at Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. I have many books on revival and try to find any book I possibly can that gives the history of revival and what God has done because without revival, without the moving of God and the quickening of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make any difference how much work we do. We need the touch of God. We need the fire to fall. We need revival. We need the supernatural energizing that only the Lord can give all of us. And I believe this group of people who joined me on the Shepherd's Summit could be the nucleus for that coming revival. I really do. But we're going to have to be committed. I'm just read to you, if you would look at it, please, in your Bible in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Remember, this is associated with Solomon and the dedication of the temple. And the Lord appeared to Solomon, and the Bible says in Chapter 7, verse 12. Now the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. And then we have this great verse in chapter 7 and verse 14. Now, before I read the verse, I want to remind you of something in 1 Peter chapter 4. 
and verse 17. For the time has come, that's now, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? So God wants to start with his church. God would, if I live and the Lord doesn't come, I'm going to preach on uh, next Monday evening outside Washington, D.C. At, at a a meeting that's a rally to try to encourage people to get after their senators and congressmen and pray for the president and that type of thing. But uh, I've already told the people that invited me to come, I'm not going to bring a message on what we need to do in Washington. There are three houses, you see. There's our house, the church house, and the house of government. And God established all those houses. And the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. God expects more from you and your church in your county than he does from anybody else. If you're complaining about what's going on at the courthouse or the county seat or the state government, um, then God says, wait a minute, get your eyes off of that. And let's begin where God begins. Judgment begins first, first, in the very words of Scripture. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, if it first begin at us, oh, that's what has to happen. Now, look at the formula. If it is such a thing, see what God says about it. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, would you make a list? I know you have the list, but would you make a list? And would you leave some room underneath the list for you to write some things? God says, if I shut up heaven, he had declared in the book of Leviticus, in the 26th chapter of Leviticus, you want to write the verse down, verses 1, 2, and 3, he shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So the Lord's day. The Lord's day. We can't continue to desecrate the Lord's day. So he said, my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. If you've, if you've created a place of worship, it should be sanctified and set apart as a, as a sanctuary of reverence. Reverence. That's so important. And the Bible says in verse 3 of Leviticus chapter 26, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then, verse 4, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. God says there are some things that you must do 
And I promise you, if you do those things, then here's what I will do. And so we're trying to communicate with you these things. The Word of God says in uh, chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Before we make a list, I want you to mark in this 14th verse of Second Chronicles chapter 7. I want you to mark the word then. So there are certain things God expects from us. And then he promises, then is what he would do. Then. I want you to write this down. Make this list, if you would, please. My people. My people. That's what God says. My people. They're called by my name. That's the first thing. There's only one way back to God. It's not for the U.S. Senate. 100 members or the U.S. Congress, 435 members or the president and the vice president. God is waiting for one group to initiate this one thing, his people. I want you to think about it, if my people. And when you think about your people, what remnant of people do you have? What remnant do you have? If my people which are called by my name. And notice the second thing, shall humble themselves. This is a very difficult subject. Are you writing it down? This is a very difficult subject. It is the right vision of God. We see the Lord for who he is. And then we see ourselves for who we are and how much we need him. I, I was speaking to a group of pastors and we were talking about the weaknesses that we have and the reason we don't have revival. But the fact of the matter is, we see ourselves too strong. Too strong. And humility is something you don't brag about having. You either have it or you don't have it. But God says we must humble ourselves. And we need to meditate on that and ask God to search us. I may have told you this before because it made such an impact on my life, but I was in a meeting with Vance Havner, and Vance Havner was preaching on the revival we need in America. And this was in, this was in 1970, maybe one, 72, maybe 71. And he said, we, we don't do a good job of humbling and, uh, because we want everything done so quickly. And Vance Havner said, I don't have a bargain basement revival. It's a costly thing. And I think, gentlemen, we have to consider how desperate we are in this matter, or if we're not. Are you desperate enough to make a personal commitment? Are you? Are you desperate enough to get personally involved? Are you? Then God says, if we humble ourselves, my people humble themselves, and then pray. How will we pray? What we pray for? 
what do we find in the patterns of prayer in the Bible? I was reading about the history of America in our revolutionary times, and uh, one of the revolutionary soldiers, during a time you've heard the story documented that the, the soldiers in Washington's army had no shoes and uh, some bleeding feet uh, walking through the snow following Washington in the Revolution. And, and one night, one of the soldiers heard someone talking in the woods, at least what they appeared to have heard, someone talking in the woods. And this is a documented historical story that the man made his way into the dark place of the woods, and it was General Washington on his knees praying that God would intervene for the troops, that they were so desperate about the revolution and about the battle and about God intervening. And there have been many books written about the interventions of divine intervention in, in the Revolutionary War, everything from rain and fog and snow and many, many of those things. And Washington was praying. And we, we need to have a new a new birth of prayer for revival. I mean, real, genuine prayer. When's the last time you've generally gotten through with God and you know uh, you, you, the, you broke through the ceiling and, and the Lord really came through? It came out of desperation, the prayer of desperation. I want you to hear something about that. Then the next thing I want you to write down is seek my face and seek my face. How do we seek the Lord with all of our heart? How do we seek God's face? Don't just use it as an expression. I want you to write down ways that you could seek God's face. We all live such distracted lives, all of us. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when I'm really intense in study, I have to clear my desk of things that can distract me because if I'm really reading the Word of God and trying to get God's Word into my heart and get into God's Word, I don't want to be distracted by something else. And so I must seek God's face. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and then here it is, turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. One time the Lord Jesus said to his disciples, If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Can you imagine when Jesus turned to those men who probably were thinking, now we're the followers of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God is our Savior, and He said, if ye then being evil, think of that. Have you ever thought when God turns His thoughts to us and his eyes upon us what he sees and what we need to confess to God there is a secret sin in every one of us and it may be a secret sin that we're hiding from everyone else it may be secret sin that we've even forgotten about and God by his Holy Spirit's convicting must remind us of it when is the last time we've allowed God to work on us? When is the last time God has spoken to us and worked on us? When is it? And he's brought to light things that we need to forsake and confess to him.
that my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. It's as though when we reach the moment when we have agreed with God, turning from our wicked ways, and we see the all-seeing eyes of God, the piercing eyes of God, on our unbelief, our lack of faith, our shallow living, uh, whatever it may be. There may be somebody that you're angry with, and that's, that's the thing that holds back God's full blessing. And it's not just holding back God's blessing. We think it's holding back God's blessing. Yes, it's holding back God's blessing in my life, in my family. It's holding God, God's blessing in the, in the church I'm a part of, or in my case, the church I pastor. But more than that, it could be holding back the revival that God wants to send. And we have to come clean with him because God's word says the moment we're willing to deal with our sin, just like in Leviticus chapter 26, the moment God says when you reverence my house and my day, that may be a sin in all of our lives. You know, I've been to church houses that were built to worship God where they're where they're playing games in it before church and doing all kinds of abominable things and trying to combine worship with that. And God can convict us. It seems like the reverence is gone. What is the sin we must turn from? What is it? What is it when we, when we see the Lord high, holy, exalted, lifted up and we see ourselves as we truly are? Uh, Clarence Sexton needs a view of himself that God has. And you need the view of yourself that God has of you. He desires, he desires not, not, not just for something that we think, well, I need to get rid of that, because God wants to pour out his spirit and blessing on the cleanest vessel possible and to be as thoroughly right with God as we can possibly be. And then the Bible says, and when we turn my wicked ways, then there's a punctuation mark here. There's a pause, a colon, and God moves. Now, I believe the Lord has wanted to move in the entire verse. That, that, that the truth of the matter is that God is bending over the balconies of heaven now. In, in that sense, he's desiring to bless us. We don't have to convince God, Lord, uh, would you make up your mind you'd like to send a revival? No, no, no. He's waiting for his people to be ready to receive it. There's only one way back to God, and this is the way. And then the Lord says, Then, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Don't you know that we need to hear from heaven more than we need anything else? We've got bits and pieces. But let's go back to the Great Awakening. Secularism was taking over. Rationalism taking over. Let's go back to the Great Awakening. 1730s, 1740s. Let's go back to when George Whitfield was preaching up and down the coast of the Atlantic. Traveling five, 
thousand miles, preaching more than 350 times in a year. Let's go back. Let's go back when there were revivals in different places and the revivals began to spread. Uh, let's go back when there was a cold staleness in churches, in worship, in religion, when it was all impersonal, just facts. God began to give sermons and people began to preach, not just on interesting topics, but they preached that all men were sinners. When's the last time we preached a, a hot sermon filled with God's Spirit on all men are sinners? And then when's the last time we preached a hot sermon with a broken heart on that everybody without Christ is going to hell? God uses these things for an awakening. And the only hope is Christ. When's the last time we preached a sermon with passion that our faith could be personal? We could know God personally. And we weren't ashamed of it. We didn't care what they called us. What, what, what do you imagine? And in that, as God is moving, and God begins to awaken, revival begins to spread. His people are moved. Don't wait for everybody. There's a remnant that will be moved. There's a remnant who are God's people. A remnant who will humble themselves. And a remnant who will pray. And a remnant who will seek his face. And a remnant who will turn their wicked ways. That's all God is desiring. And then he, he says, then, then. That's a wonderful word. We need to pray for that then. But we don't have any business praying for it until we've met the things that precede it. And it takes a while. It takes time to get thoroughly right with God. Aren't you grateful God has made a way back to him? He's made a way back to him. You say, well, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. This may not be, this may not be the place God chooses. Wait, wait a minute. Charles Spurgeon was preaching in London, England. This is recorded in the Metropolitan Pulpit. And Charles Spurgeon, I can document which servant was in, said that a man in Washington, Georgia, in a tiny place in Washington, Georgia, had prayed a hole in heaven. And that man's prayers had influenced what we call the greatest English-speaking preacher in the world at the time, Charles Spurgeon in London, England. And God moved through E.M. Bounds, the man he was referencing, in an out-of-the-way place in Washington, Georgia. I'm saying to you, friends, that it's not our greatness or our great place or our great geographical location, or our great city. It's our great God who wants to move then after we've done the things that are necessary for God to move. I'm not going to give up on that. I want to go out to meet God with this hope in my heart that God is going to intervene 
that we're going to hear from heaven. Then, the Bible says, then, then, beautiful word, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And while we're working and waiting to get the right people elected, to straighten up the United States Congress, to straighten up the United States Senate, what about the church of the living God and the reverence that we need to use the words of Scripture, the reverence that we need? God said the reverence and keeping his Sabbath. That may sound like an old ragtag, worn out thing to you. Uh, I remember preaching, preaching long ago to this church on the Ten Commandments and trying to find out what I was going to say about what God said about the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And I remember what conviction I got under thinking about what desecration has gone on the Lord's day. And I remembered back in my life as I started out the deeper reverence and respect I had for the Lord's Day. Certain things I would not do on the Lord's Day. Certain places I would not go on the Lord's Day. I remember one time a man was mowing his yard on the Lord's Day in the second church I pastored. And we, I talked with him about the fact if he was going to have leadership in our church, he was not to do that. But those kind of things wouldn't be said today. I remember saying to this church when I first came, if your children play organized baseball or football, whatever it may be, and you're on a team and they play on the Lord's Day, you can never serve in leadership in this church. And I thought people in the sitting in the congregation were going to choke to death when I said that. But there has to be a remnant of people who reverence the place of worship and show the attitude they ought to show toward the Lord's Day. That comes under that comes over our wicked ways. Our wicked ways. Make the list of the way back to God and pray in that list till you get to that word then. And get to the place in your heart where you expect, by faith, you expect God to hear from heaven to forgive our sin and to heal our land. And pray that revival will begin. And these, these outcroppings of revival can be in many places. And it will catch fire. It will catch fire. Jeremiah Lampfear met alone upstairs in a church that you wouldn't imagine would have been a church building, a facility where God would use. But there the prayer revival of 1857 began. And some say 100,000 people a week were getting saved in the peak of that revival. So I'm just saying there is only one way back to God. And God spelled it out in his word. Let's don't try to find shortcuts. Let's let God work on us. Why don't we do this? Why don't we say, Lord, I know I'm not the prophet and thinking I'm the only one. The 7,000 never bowed a knee. And we're going to try through the Baptist Friends Network to find those people. But I want to come before your throne like I was the only person you were depending on being right with you that you could touch and hear from heaven to bless. May God help us to live that way. There are a few questions that have been sent. Question number one, what are your recommendations on de 
dividing your time appropriately as a pastor, husband, and father? Well, you have to find out first what God's given you to do. I'm not first and foremost a pastor. No, I'm a child of God. And I need to be right with God so that I can be the husband that God's helped me to become. God-given assignments and God-given duties never conflict. I don't think there's a conflict between me being a man, marrying a woman, taking a wife, being a husband, and being what God's called me to do. I don't think there's a conflict. But if I have to provide a priority list, it is the Lord and then my wife. And then my children. And then this church. That may be what you haven't heard from others. I don't know. I'm just, you ask me, I'm telling you. How can I keep the invitation fresh? I do not want to become repetitive like I fear that I am. The way to keep an invitation fresh and not be repetitive is to have new people in the congregation you know who need the Lord. And so you and your people need to be inviting them, leading them to Christ, and getting there. It, it changes everything when you know there are people who need the Lord there. What books or authors do you suggest when studying the book of Revelation? I'd start, I'd start with Dr. W.A. Criswell and his sermons on the Revelation. Now, that's not a small thing. He preached through the book of the Revelation. I think it's four or five volumes in one you can get, and you can get it. It's still available. I wouldn't imagine preaching on the Revelation of Jesus Christ without having Dr. Criswell's sermons. And then the fourth question I have is, I fear for my children having to grow up in the world today. I need to trust the Lord for this, but I'm struggling to do so. How can I keep my children interested in serving the Lord? Engage them. Engage them. Pray for them. Then engage them. Let them get involved in it. Take them with you to see a dying saint or somebody that loves the Lord. Or let them get involved in it. Uh, my two children, my two sons, are still engaged in the Lord's work, and I'm grateful for that. They don't do everything I want. I don't do everything they want. But they love Jesus. They love me. They love their mother. I'm very grateful for that. My concern now is my grandchildren. They're all beautiful, loving kids. And I believe they love the Lord, but that's where my great interest is in now. And so... I'm working at it. You're working at it. The greatest thing you can do is keep your own self right with God. Then you can be the husband, the pastor, the grandfather, the father, and the friend God wants you to be. I'm going to ask someone here to lead us in prayer. Brother Tim Cart, I want you to come here and stand beside me if you would. And uh, Tim is working with our international ministry. And he worked in Venezuela for uh, how many years, Tim? About 13 years. 13 years. And uh, I, want you, I want you to be able to be right here if you don't mind. And Tim saw, I witnessed the revolution in Venezuela that is now just starting in America. I don't know what is before us in America. I don't. Maybe, maybe economic collapse. Maybe a war. There are people in, in authority now who want to start a war. Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, 
we, you can't bar yourself into some sort of victory and uh, we're becoming the greatest debtor in the world as a nation. But uh, I know this, that revival, revival will, will prepare us for whatever God allows to come to us. And I'm telling you, it's not, it's not take it or leave it. It's beyond that. And I hope you men will get desperate. I'm going to ask you in a few days or weeks to, to uh, commit to something in these things we've talked about. Because I, I want to see this before I leave this world. And I intend to do all I can do until we see the Lord Jesus. Tim, lead us in our closing prayer, will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you after hearing uh, from your word. And Lord, we can see the necessity of a revival of your working. Uh, Lord, you look to us that we would uh, come to thee. And uh, Lord, that we would seek your, your face. Lord, that we would um, uh, come calling and believing that you can in this day work within your yes. people, Lord, to send Amen. a revival. Lord, we read in your word about how you came down. We read in your word about how we can hear from heaven. Lord, we do desire, Lord, that we would just examine ourselves. Lord, that we would uh, daily seek uh, your cleansing, your forgiveness. Uh, Lord, that we would uh, commit to a thorough work in our lives by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we die to self. Lord, may we look to Thee. May we determine to, to trust Thee and live by faith. Lord, to go against the grain. And uh, Father, we do look in the history of our own nation, how You worked mightily. Uh, Lord, uh, how uh, the situation looks so drear, dreary. Even people in leadership years ago in the early years of our nation denying You because of influence from atheists. But Lord, you worked. You touched the life of individuals. And Lord, you used them. Your Holy Spirit convicted of sin. Things were different. Lord, we look to thee for what only you can do. Help us, Lord, uh, to walk uh, with you humbly. And uh, Lord, uh, to just really believe from our hearts, God, that you will send revival and help us to anticipate that and expect it. Yeah. But Lord, help us to set ourselves for this, we pray. Lord, help us to be intentional in this. And uh, Father, we think, as we heard this morning about, that there's actually counties in our nation with the possibility of not a group of people seeking you and wanting others to hear the gospel. How can that happen? How can that be? Uh, Lord, help us. Uh, to leave our uh, traditional way and the Lord really just go back to your word and trust you when we know what it is to live in sincerity and, and simplicity and the Lord may be glorified. We pray that you would touch hearts of pastors and Christian leaders uh, through this effort each Tuesday that you would burden their heart, Lord, to lead, to influence other pastors and Christian leaders where they are to join together for revival and prayer and uh, to get the gospel to those who have never heard in our nation. We thank you for this, Lord. 
and uh, we'll praise you for it. We know as we read in the scripture, you're the, the adventure of your elect. And uh, Lord, help us to uh, truly have faith in thee in these things as we look to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and worthy evangelism.